This podcast is brought to you by the brand new FX PhD Smoke 2013 Fast Forward Training. Download all 10 smoke classes immediately for $99 to get started in checking out this brand new editing and compositing package. Details at fxphd.com. Hi, and welcome to this week's VFX show. I'm Mike Seymour, and I'm joined by some good friends. Matt Wallen, how are you, sir? Pretty good. Yeah, yeah. hanging in there. And doing uh, summer. Yeah, and enjoying, the, enjoying that northern heat, which I'm in the middle of like a completely frozen my ass off, watery, miserable <laughs> winter here in Sydney. Um, and Jason Diamond, who I presume is in New York enjoying a hot sort of summer in the city, yes? Yeah, except we've had... 100 over 100 degree days and then two days of torrential downpours like torrential oh really yeah uh, i always so. uh, think of some like it hot and that kind of it's so hot and sticky in the city that you uh new york is uh yeah doesn't it completely yeah. transform in summer yeah i've never been there yeah the, the humidity pulls all the urine out of the street that's oh. pretty much <laughs> that's the transformation right there okay right there thanks for that <laughs> Okay, well, this week on the show, we're going to be talking about a film that I will confess I vetoed being on the schedule. I then told Ian, who works uh, as one of the senior writers here at uh, FX Guide, that I didn't think was going to be that good or that important or that significant, which is Snow White and the Huntsman. And then I saw it. And then I said to everybody, hey, you know how you guys have all been saying that we should do a VFX show on the Huntsman? Well, you were right, and I was wrong. Uh, there's a lot of really interesting stuff in this film. And, of course, we... Um, we uh, changed the schedule around and uh, and included the film. So I, I want to know, firstly, from you guys, was I the only one that thought that um, Snow White wasn't going to be a film that I would particularly find engaging? Jason, did you think this was going to be a film that would engage you? Did you, in, in fact, enjoy it? I did enjoy it. Um, I, th- I was not planning on seeing it uh, prior to having to watch it for the show. And I thought it was interesting that there's been two Snow White movies and that weirdly Tarsum did the other one, the mirror mirror one for Disney. I think it was that is what you would assume this one, the Huntsman would be his style, darker, more, you know, cinematic looking. Whereas the other one is, looks like a cartoon with doesn't seem to have his sort of take on it. So I was interested, interested to see how this played out. And, and I, it, I, I, I liked it. Well, the other film, the the Mirror Mirror that you referred to that came out, I think, in March um, with uh, Julia Roberts was a film that I did not see. But it did seem that that film was fairly perky. And uh, was it actually a Disney film? Because Disney had another film that was up until recently in uh, sort of pre-pre, which Um. was going to be awesome, but also was tying into the same mythology. Um, So I think this might have been – I'm looking it up now. Maybe it yeah, I think it was actually, well, certainly the production company was um, Relativity Media, but I don't know right. if it was a Disney film per se, but um, anyway. It had that vibe. Anyway. It certainly did, didn't it? It had that sort of look about it, whereas this film, The Huntsman, is being criticized in some quarters for being too dark and too humorless and too bloody miserable for a Snow White film. 
I don't know that actually this needed to be a Snow White film. I think this could have been... It was almost when they made the mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all line. I went, oh, yeah, that's right. This is um, Snow White, isn't it? <laughs> Up until that, I just sort of thought of it as an interesting sort of Lord of the Rings-esque tale. Matt, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, I actually just saw it today. Um, and I, it was one that I was not planning on seeing either. I had seen the trailers and stuff. And, uh, you know, I thought it looked like uh, something that maybe just wasn't really... I wasn't the target demographic necessarily yep. for the movie, right? So I thought, well, I don't know. I might skip that one. And um, I went and saw it today, and, I, you know, in spite of myself, I, I really kind of liked it. I thought it was pretty, pretty good. And um, I, I see what you mean about the um, – oh, the other thing I, I was thinking too watching is like it's, it's interesting to me that a film like this gets um, – gets made and uh, <laughs> yeah. watch it well in the and watching it i mean it's a huge movie yeah. i mean the amount of money that went into like every element of production um you know from costume design to location shooting to you know some amazing cinematography i thought there was some great photography in the film um and then uh you know the visual effects i mean there were so much visual effects in this movie I mean, and then the the like an all star cast like uh, which we can get into. I was I was so surprised to see. I didn't read very much about it before seeing it today, uh, and I didn't realize some of the uh, you know pretty big name like British character actors that were in it in the part of some of the dwarves and well, the dwarves. Was, I know I'm exactly the same because I had it not on my radar, and also I guess I'm not particularly a mega fan of the sort of Twilight thing, so. Kirsten yeah. Stewart, and I'm not alone in that. Even my daughter, who is target central for, for that demographic, <laughs> is like, yeah, Kirsten Stewart, I'm over her. Um, though she um, is into Chris Helmsworth. But th- again, I, I think the only thing that maybe got me to see it is that um, Charisse Theon, I'm not saying her name right. How is he? How do you say it? Charlize Theron. Charlize, thank you. Charlize. I don't know why I got tongue tied then. Um, yeah. So I thought, okay, well, she's pretty good. And uh, that sort of maybe dragged me in when there didn't seem to be much else on at the cinema to see. And then I, I'm totally with you. Like, I was like, is that Bob Hoskins? Like, yeah, exactly. Just, and, I, and, I, and I thought, is that the guy? Ray Winstone? Ian, yeah. Ian, Ian McShane from Deadwood? Like, what? Yeah. Like, that guy looks just like and sounds just like Ian McShane. And I was like, yeah, that, Toby but, Jones? Yeah, and you yeah. see they're going, you're going, <laughs> crazy. is that... It, that's got to be no. It wouldn't be the. Hang on, who is that? Yeah, and then suddenly yeah, it's kind Nick of dawning. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. So no, I'm I'm totally up there. The film is you know not cheap. It was like 170 million apparently. Um, and yet it's you know it's been profitable. Um, I, I don't know who the target demographic was, but I think you could have easily just called this film something else, taken out the Snow White references, and it would have been as successful. But I think Snow White is just the word Snow White is so strongly owned by Disney. Um, from the original animated film that I just found it impossible to get past that. Um, and yet, clearly, it isn't that film. Hey, um, let's talk about the visual effects. So we've got a real interesting uh, lineup of uh, visual effects houses uh, handling stuff here. Double negative, Rhythm and Hughes, Pixel Mondo, Lola, uh, who, quite frankly, I've got to the point now with Lola that I drink their bathwater, the they're, they did the dwarves. We'll come back to that. But I mean, my God, I'm just in awe of that company. Um, the Mill Hydraulics, uh, Black Base. I'm just reading off a list now. But there's like quite a lot of visual effects for about 1,300 uh, all in uh, in terms of shot count. So yeah, there were some really big uh, sequences. But there was also some just well, uh, you know, highly polished uh, character animation work. Um, and 
some stuff that wasn't around for very long. It wasn't even, um, you know, repeated many times. I think the mirror is a good example of that. That was like some really interesting work, but it wasn't like we had lots of mirror. When I saw that effect at the beginning, the mirror coming to life and drifting in, I thought we were going to see this many times in the film, almost never came back to it. Um, Did did you guys get that impression that there was like a, a, a lot of variety of shots, obviously a lot of variety of houses, but you almost anticipated coming back to uh, some kind of signature effect and it just didn't happen? Uh, Yeah, I would say so. I mean, there was so much in this film. I mean, I just, you know, it's a long movie as well. I mean, it comes in, I think, around two hours and ten minutes or so. And uh, although it didn't really feel uh, that long, although I think you probably could have cut a little bit out of this film and and still, um, you know, had had a pretty good ride i think but um but uh yeah i mean it was really interesting how they kind of they went from you know location to location and these location shifts really seem to dictate um you know a, a huge changes in the core effects work and so yeah there were all kinds of stuff that was really just one-off like the the there's a troll character that's encountered mm. at one point this huge creature um that's really well done interesting uh model and uh pretty nice animation and um, pretty well lit and comped into the scenes and but it's only in one short little bit and then it's gone i will give credit to um, i think it's cedric nicholas trojan the visual effects supervisor something that we spoke to for the article and fx guide while they were sort of a, a range of effects they weren't unlinked i mean for example the initial soldiers that shatter as part of the uh, sort of phantom mm-hmm. army attack that in causes the king to find the evil witch, um, that shattering was also replicated with the witch herself turning back into um, crows. And it was also, uh, there was something similar to that done at another point in the film. Uh, yeah, she shatters like the, the stained glass or whatever above in the castle and yeah, the roof kind of comes the- down. And in the title sequence at the end. Yeah, so there were quite a few, like, you know, bits that... But it wasn't as if the gloopy, you know, pouring out mirror, mirror thing came back again. And that was a really interesting interpretation um, of how to to do that. And I, and I loved that idea that only she could see it, uh, not even her brother. Um, so there was some really interesting stuff there. But yeah, I really liked... Actually, I really liked that. That was one of the things that I saw in the trailer initially i think it's there's like two sh- like a quick shot of it in the trailer and i was like oh that's a really it's a really good idea to to give it that vibe not make it i know they initially tried a bunch of liquid sims and you know did a bunch of test shoots with phantoms and whatnot to see how they could do liquid and they were just like it's not going to work you know and and the cloth with with the human form underneath it without a face is perfect because you don't need to but then, make some scary face, and you don't need to do all that. You know what I mean? Like, and it reflects herself back in. You know, yeah, yeah. The reflection her, is great too. The yeah, distorted yeah. reflection in the. People were yeah. saying that that you know there was risks of it being Terminator too, but I didn't get that at all. I thought it was oh. really, and drapey cloth feels of the era. It didn't feel high yeah, tech. Totally, yeah, yeah. I thought it was. I mean, I, it, it felt it felt like you know very Frazetta. You know, Boris Vallejo kind of fantasy, um, you know, scary, but not horror. You know, like a lot of people would go with a with a cloaked face with eyes coming out under or some bullshit, you know, and just on the nose. I thought this was nice and subtle, simple, done, move on. Uh, Not simple from a from an execution standpoint, but from a design standpoint, you know, just 
a figure clothed in, you know, draped yeah. in cloth. I love the so idea that they actually did go to the trouble of hiding an epic camera to film her <laughs> and a right. side on. So you got 5K at full height, to, you know, which you didn't even need really. I mean, 5K in, in a landscape format would have been enough, but you had 5K in a portrait and you, the epic was small enough to hide to do that. So you could film her performance because that's what does sell it, you know, that can proper reverse angle. Um, right. And they, and they made like a, like a, a maquette sort mm. of, you know, a reflected maquette so she could see her reflection in herself. And they had the guy off screen, right, doing the voice, the super uh, Barry White. <laughs> the Barry White voice. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I, I've got to say, the other one was the stag. Sorry, I was referring earlier to that shattering thing. Mm-hmm. But we had the same thing when the stag turned into butterflies. Right, right. And, and so the... So I'm not saying that they were, you know, it was like different effects that were out of place from each other, but it was certainly that stag, for example. If I'd have gone to the trouble of making that stag, man, I'd have had that in every friggin' shot. I mean, that was just like incredible. That that whole, um, uh, I don't know, it, it was a bit Disney, I guess, uh, you know, all the chirpy animals coming to life and the birds yeah. singing and the... You know, but but it was also kind of original because a lot of the things like the mushrooms and other things were acting in ways that we hadn't seen before. So it it was not it was not like you you felt oh okay I've seen this let's get on with it. I was actually quite interested to see what was going on in that forest. I thought it was totally appropriate. I mean, it had the Disney yeah. vibe, right? So it had the little bit of the birds landing on her shoulder and singing, which didn't happen, but that was the yeah. the intimation and yeah, the, the, the pure, yeah, the pure world. And they and they give a little exposition about how that's where we every all the good comes from, and 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 it, it sort of drifts into the regular world, and and because Ravenna was was destroying the world. You know, it, it it was a it was a good um, sort of light version of Lord of the Rings. You know, uh, uh, in, industrialization metaphor, um, where yeah. and, and I like the effects. You know, can't go wrong if you do a really good set of like you know fairies and dwarves and and unicorns and shit. You know, if you do it right. It's fine. It's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Well, talking about doing yeah. it right, let's talk about these dwarves because I've got nothing but man love for Lola over these dwarves. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like you guys obviously being in the industry uh, like me just can appreciate that it's one thing to say, oh, we're going to comp the actors' faces onto other actors to get that happening. But, I mean... The, with the, trees in the background too. Sorry? Yeah. yeah. That, I mean, that's a lot of, you know, like their work in social network was phenomenal, but there were like mostly, Bookcases. most of the time it was <laughs> faces, but they were organic, you know, flatter shapes behind them. They weren't in a forest, yeah. right? Where there's just oh, insane yeah. amounts of, of shit to deal with in your rotos and your, and your deformations and stuff. Well, and they all had too, like a lot of those guys had just real kind of scraggly kind of, you know, bits of hair and all kinds yeah. of things that had to be dealt with. So, I mean, it was definitely a real challenge. But, I mean, you look at the work that uh, Lola did on both uh, Social Network as well as on uh, Captain America, and it's like, yeah, they're definitely the go-to well, place. Well, let's not for, forget Hugo, the anti-aging right, Hugo. Hugo, yeah. In stereo. I mean, it's the place to go for anything like this. I mean, and I, I just... I think it's a. T- I mean, having what we were saying earlier, having not seen much about the film, and then going to see this thing, and like kind of having to stop myself and like actually look and be like, wait, I think I. And in the movie, I actually pulled out my phone and I, I just looked up the cast, and I was like, no, <laughs> sh- no kidding, like I, I, I couldn't believe it. I was totally shocked. Yeah, it was just really great. 
So basically, just everyone's sort of on the same page here because we're jumping around a bit, but I think it's a genuine excitement to be surprised. Um, these actors that we've been referring to, these actors that we were surprised were in it, uh, face-tracked effectively onto much smaller actors or digitally reduced. So I should actually, not just Lola, because there was work done uh, also by Rhythm and Hughes on this, but they did a test to, to convince the producers that this would work, that they could actually... Um, you know, change the faces. And I think that while I think it works completely, I would not want to have tried to sell that because somebody would have said, well, can't we just use dwarfs? I mean, can't we just use people that are, you know, short? And let's face it, with what's been happening in uh, Game of Thrones, we've seen a real respect for the actors that are producing tremendously good uh, performances that are, you know, height challenged and they, they're in every way being taken very seriously for their dramatic pieces. There was no reason to suppose that it would be a stupid idea to just cast people that were naturally uh, shorter. And yet, um, by going the route they've done, A, it works, B, you get these really interesting English actors or mainly English actors, um, producing these phenomenal performances and the shots are just intriguing matt i mean you you said you stopped yourself and looked at them but i did you see any faults when you did i no i mean i really i mean i I, when i finally realized you know what was going on and i realized okay these are actually you know reprojections of these faces where they're tracking them in and either putting them on somebody else or they're doing some of the kind of like some of the lord of the rings style kind of you know height gags and stuff where they have you know maybe the the uh, the characters who are supposed to be sort of, you know, uh, human uh, or not human, but like normal scale, you know, sorry, that's, that sounded wrong, but um, normal scale, you know, then, then you wind up with, uh, you know, maybe an actor like walking on some riser or something like that, you know, and they're shooting the dwarves kind of probably with like a wider, a wider lens. So they kind of get the scale kind of changes somewhat, but uh, so many of these shots clearly weren't done that way. And they were done with, you know, full on, you know, getting in there and tracking stuff and putting it over uh, a double. Um, and, yeah, I, I didn't see anything uh, in the dwarves that, um, uh, that to me, that, I didn't see anything that didn't work. You know, we'll take all nothing. that and then, and, then, and then add that it's anamorphic. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, in the film, uh, the way that this is pulled off is they actually had four epic cameras sitting around um, producing effectively every angle of the actor who's giving the performance, who's sitting in a stationary chair. They've got their head held uh, in place. I've actually done a shot like this myself, and it is really, really hard to get the lighting right. And that's one of the things that the team brought to this because they actually have um, – they, they sort of pre-analyze the lighting of what they're needing to be doing, and then they control the lighting with a, um, with a kind of effectively lighting switcher and that gets the lighting on the faces because it is very, very hard to get the contrast ratios and uh, and densities of light right. But that would be like on a single person. I certainly did it. It was like a one-off shot. In this case, you've got seven or eight of them gathered around trees, around stuff, doing things. Um, sometimes it's it's around campfires with sort of flickering light. And then they're managing to hold all of those and get not only the lighting right, but then, of course, the tracking. And as you say, the integration, the removing of things in the background and, and everything else. I think for some of the far away shots, they did actually have some masks and some uh, makeups to try to, you know, because obviously for characters way in the distance, you really can't tell if it's just an actor with a, um, a beard or something to match. But there are a lot of close-ups. I mean, there's a heck of mm-hmm. a lot of close-ups, right down to death scenes. Um, they went in for um, 
they went in for uh, latex masks of say Ray Winstone on the on the on the little person that was that was playing that character, and they thought they they could just you know do the do the hockey mask face projection, but they realized that the latex makes the head all weird, so they had to not only reproject head you know hockey mask and then pull in some ears and other things that they don't normally do, but also then deform the head back down where the latex was was wrong. Yeah. It was which is yeah. a lot of work. Yeah, I mean really it was just spectacular. Okay, so so there is other really, really good stuff. So let's move on from that. And um and one of the shots that also intrigued me though it wasn't maybe a big, big shot, but I was kind of interested to watch it. And and I guess on screen I had enough of a chance to really kind of analyze it. Uh is I don't know, maybe it's an odd shot for me to bring up, but did you guys I was sort of fascinated when the Queen stepped in the fire and yeah. she kind of burnt and then unburnt. Uh, and the whole time she's delivering a speech, and while, of course, it was easy to just listen to what was being said, because it's kind of an interesting part in the film, I did kind of think it was also interesting watching that um, that happen. That was stuff done by hydraulics. Matt, did you like that? Yeah, I thought there was actually a lot of great work. I mean, I thought, first of all, the, the actor's performance, the Charlize Theron's performance as the, the uh, evil queen, I mean, she was just so great. I mean, she really totally went for it, um, you know, from an acting point of view, and that was really fun to watch. But also, uh, they did so many interesting um, effects uh, on her face, where she really was going through all kinds of uh, machinations from, you know, kind of this uh, sort of almost this graying of the skin, as well as this kind of ghostly white thing happening and then as you as you mentioned the a scene where she steps into a fire and delivers the speech and her skin looks as if it's you know she's getting sort of almost like really quickly gets these like first degree burn patches on her forehead and her nose and her cheeks and a little bit on her chin and and then it really starts to blister and uh, grow and expand and then somehow too with because she has all these crazy powers which is you know kind of part of the story she's able to somehow uh you know degrade all that and sort of come back to this youthful form and i thought the way that they dealt with it the tracking on all that stuff and the um the integration of it into the scene i mean it it was really seamless and it was a a great looking effect it felt like something that i know i've seen things like that before but it worked really well in the context of this film and it made for a really you know interesting dramatic moment yeah i thought it was pretty good i mean there were earlier shots that when she was aging and unaging, that were nice and subtle and and uh, and good. And there's some. Let's face it, we've criticised some other films recently for appallingly bad aged makeup, uh, seemingly right. thus. But yeah, this this was nicely handled. But also the fire thing is a little tricky because, in a sense, you you want to not overplay it. You don't want to be sort of ghastly sort of gory you had it to kind of slowly come up and then slowly go down and not look like it was just fading on and fading off and she was standing there for quite a while in the screen time it wasn't you know like you had a two second sort of quick little thing um that speech had a really it had a really organic Mm. growth and healing pattern too where it felt like it was you know some sort of almost like um uh, you know, like some sort of like a, a traveling, you know, emitter or something, you know, like the way that it was sort of scarring on and then it sort of um, kind of healed back over. The behavior of the uh, the burn as well as the behavior of the heel were different. Hmm. And I thought that really gave it something that looked a little bit more realistic. So, Jason, if we think that Lola's a really good go-to place for doing um, face replacements, 
when it comes to creature work, uh, Rhythm and Hughes has got a terrific reputation. And Rhythm and Hughes delivered in this film, The Troll. Uh, do you want to talk about that? Because The Troll is an isolated uh, section, but I think a, a really successful one. I'm sure you'd agree. I, yeah, I like The Troll. I was, it was, they, they lead, they led into it very subtly from a story perspective, which I really liked. Because he's walking up, and then you just sort of see an eyeball, and you're like, oh, right, it's a bridge. There's going to be a troll. But I'm thinking – then, and then you start thinking, like, what kind of troll is it going to be? You know, what, where, where, did they go with, where did they go with it? Which is nice to, to give the audience uh, a little bit of credit and, and let you sort of have some, have some exploration with the characters. Um, when he turned out to be the entire bridge himself, uh, it was cool. I'm kind of – I've said this in a couple other shows. I think it's nothing against Rhythm and Hughes because they've obviously getting they're getting direction from from elsewhere. The work was great, but I I'm I'm over the flat faced monster, uh, <laughs> and the roar that sounds like a sputtering car that unfortunately ILM not uh, Skywalker I think brought to life with the first episode one uh, pod racer scene, which everyone seems to have emulated. Uh, it's just the work is great. I, I actually really did like the troll and the interaction of how it calmed down with Kristen Stewart, uh, and their interaction was was really nice. Especially since apparently they had nothing on set for her except the tennis ball. Uh, they didn't even have like you know like in the Avengers where they had you yeah. know hand or something. Um, I thought I thought that the work was really nice. It. Like Matt, you said earlier, it comped really nicely. The, the it was good camera was... work on it, though, as well, wasn't there? There was yeah. it, it. It had a, a fluidity to the camera work that didn't give away that they hadn't got a troll there to start with. Right, and the and the uh, and the fact that it was anamorphic again, like they really sat it in there nicely, and you had really good sort of slightly stretched, um, you know out of focus elements that weren't even that far away. Like it seemed like it was like an eight or something. Like it wasn't. Super, you know, shallow depth of field, but it, it definitely had had some of that. So I thought it sat in there really nicely. I just, as soon as I saw it, I was like, "Oh, here we go." You know, you know what I really liked in that sequence, and it's going to be an odd thing. But I liked how he smashed that tree stump. I yeah. thought the shattering <laughs> yeah. of that tree stump, and I, I went back and looked at it later, and actually, it isn't as detailed as I thought. Like when I was in the cinema, I thought I was seeing the fracturing of every little bit of wood. In fact, it's from below, and it really it just sort of wipes off the top of it, and then most of the destruction happens behind it. It's if you were, I mean, there is actually a clip on FX Guide if you want to sort of frame through it. it it's clever filmmaking because, in a sense, you see the tree trunk there. He swipes through. Presumably, there was never a top to it, so the digital effect was putting the top on, and then the, once the hand sort of wipes through, you just have all the shards of stuff falling off behind it, implying that you've seen it splinter the way that it did. And and I say in the cinema, I completely felt maybe it was the sound that was helping it as well that I saw every splinter kind of ripping that thing apart. You actually don't see it, but it was it was clever filmmaking, and and it really gave it the kind of I mean, it had to do something to sort of show its force, and that was definitely a scary, threatening thing for it to do. Um, I, who was working on that sequence, by the way? Did did Rhythm do the smashing of that stump? Does anyone know? I, I thought think they so. did the whole sequence. Okay. But, well, then, whoever did uh, that stump sequence knows how to design a shot because um, 
Well, the whole the whole sequence was really nice. It wasn't. I don't have a. I don't have an issue with the sequence itself. Oh no, no, I agree. Uh, yeah, I thought it was really. I, I and from a story perspective too, I thought it was great. He's trying to protect her. He's pretty much knocked out. He figures she's finished, and she starts. You start to learn about her value to the to the ecosystem. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a problem with the character design so much. I kind of liked the way they got that texture in the body. It felt fairly, it felt actually a bit original to me. The the way that it had sort of formed from the from the uh, bridge itself. I didn't I didn't feel it like it was. It's the it's just the face design. The face is a bit. What was that? Uh, Wrath of Titans at the end of it. The um. Well, they all they all they all take them from the Rancor. Right. And yeah. and the Clash of the Titans. Yeah. Uh, release the Kraken. Um, okay, so, so we, uh, we ran right past the opening sequence, the, uh, the battle sequence that causes um, the Queen to be revealed. Um, so let's jump back to that. And Matt, the, uh, we've seen a lot of battles. We've, since Lord of the Rings had massive software to do stuff, did we think this mm-hmm. opening sequence held up as a good primer for the film? I mean, I thought it was pretty good. I, I think probably more than the opening battle sequence, I thought uh, some of the set extensions and some of the um, – when <laughs> when Snow White kind of gets her army together, there was actually one or two shots, not the whole bit, but when they're coming on the beach. And I think you have a shot in your uh, FX Guide piece where it shows them sort of from behind approaching mm-hmm. the, the castle and it's sort of a um, – uh, as they're – you're, you're behind the, the group of people approaching, but there was a shot where we're sort of up from the castle's point of view, looking as we see this huge uh, train of people coming. And I thought that that stuff was really um, pretty spectacular. And then the opening battle uh, stuff I thought was, was good. I like the, um, the uh, you know, sort of the faceless uh, knights and the engagement and how they, they kind of wind up, um, you know, they all of a sudden discover they can strike these guys and they sh- they shatter the sort of, um, I don't know what they called it in the story, but like this kind of black army that's like a not really made up of real soldiers. Yep. Um, and then the aftermath of that, I thought, you know, looked really great. But the the shattering itself, uh, you know, it's pretty cool. It's, it's uh, not anything that felt like something I'd never seen before, but at the same time, I mean, it was a really great uh, – Simulation. The dynamics were really good, and I mean, it looked like they were dealing with you know at least like a hundred thousand or more, you know, bits and pieces. I mean, it was definitely a dense um, oh, uh, set of simulations in the shadow. Much higher than that, don't you think? Hundred thousand. I would have thought it'd been much higher. The uh, oh, I just individual pieces. Oh, okay. Know? Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, they looked really dense to me. Those uh, those shadows. Yeah, definitely. Um, and. Uh, yet, you know, when you get a good shadow like that happening, it does have really good dramatic effect on screen. It does really I mean, work I, well. I feel like I was really primed for this, though, in a weird way, and that I hadn't seen any of the um, the Game of Thrones uh, TV shows, you know? And I just recently sort of caught up on all that stuff and saw some of this the HBO Game of Thrones show, which I thought was pretty good. And, and uh, so going into this, I was really not sure what to expect, but I wound up kind of feeling like, oh, it's, it's kind of got a similar, you know, um, vibe going on in the, in the uh, like you were saying, that it was much darker than what you would have expected. And so I felt like all that stuff really worked together. And when you were talking about, you know, there's so many different kinds of effects in this film, I think that's one of the things that's really successful too, is that the, um, the overarching 
kind of art direction of all the visual effects, um, as well as the art direction of the whole film, they really do work well together from, you know, the effect of the shattering, the shards of the soldiers um, to the, you know, the face replacement stuff, obviously. And I like that the dwarves in this weren't, they're not like the big bulbous nose dwarves that you see in the, uh, the, the Hobbit or the Lord of the Rings films. I kind of thought these were a little bit better. Um, somehow a little more believable. It wasn't heavy duty makeup um, in the same vein. And then I thought the, uh, you know, even the down to the fairies and the, uh, uh, the, the mirror, mirror, the troll, all that stuff. It felt very much like it came from the same world. Yeah. The fairies reminded me of that uh, El Toro film. Um, oh, right. The, the, yeah. Yeah. But uh, still good. Um, I thought the the only time I started to get a little bit like, you know, you should have backed it off a bit, is the, and I think they called it the Dark Fairies, but, you know, the shards that attack uh, the guys when they're going for the Queen at the end. And they come down from the roof and then there's just this massive amount of shards, uh, you know, 30,000 shards flying at each actor kind of thing. And for me, those, while incredibly impressive um, bullet physics solver Houdini stuff, it just was so ridiculously like somebody had turned on the fire hydrant of shards. And I was thinking, <laughs> you could really take an eye out with one of those, you know, steady on. Um, there's no way you'd survive one uh, initial drop, yet alone, you know, if they were meant to be glass and, and yet alone having a, you know, a single shield and having a fire hydrant of them flying at you and it's been ripped everyone to, to death. So it was sort of surprising. Well, I wonder if they were, I wonder if they were sort of pushed into into that being that you had seen a sort of appropriate use of it in the beginning uh, that because it's that third act and it's the final battle that it has to be bigger yeah is there, is, I, I, mean, I think that's a part of it possibly but didn't you just feel like they were and I, I, I just I know this well, is a weird was, reference but it was like Monty Python's uh, you know one more their wafer thin <laughs> they seem to be just like a vomit of these things just projectiling across the room at these guys I think they were well, I think they were trying to trying to give the sort of like her her vicious command of to just basically sweep the room uh, I think it I think you just lost the they were they were trying to give form to the guys that as they were these sort of wraithy wispy things made out of shards it was like a right. like a, a design clash maybe yeah, uh, it, I think that's I think that's actually a really good point because that was my take on it. I think that it actually seemed as though the, the the shard sort of characters at the end when it comes down from the ceiling and then starts moving around, it felt like it had a different behavior that we hadn't seen before. And it, all of a sudden, it took on this behavior that, like I think, like you're saying, Jason, it was like this real sweeping kind of uh, almost like the. Um, What's that X Men character that like poofs and moves really fast? And I remember Nightcrawler, right? Yeah, I mean, it was just this. It 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 behaved so differently than what we had seen before that it felt I it think, a little bit out of context. It almost would have been better to have them be crows, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I they- think yeah, exactly. It could have been crows. I think it was just a bit too much. If it had like one or two guards that were sort of holding everybody off. But it just seems such a ridiculous overkill, this sort of fire hydrant of shards coming at these. There's one point where he's just holding his um, shield up, and I'm thinking, it's just, yeah. you wouldn't survive this, right? It's just, right, right. <laughs> it's just nuts. Um, especially as we've seen them drop in what seemed to be that they were sticking into, I mean, I assume they were stone floors, and they were on the first right, shot, right. they fall down, and they've spuck into, and if they're going to make a hole in a stone floor like that, you're going to do quite a lot of damage to someone's legs. 
Um, but anyway, that was just a minor point. It just felt a bit like over the top. And up until that point, it hadn't been so over the top. I know there were some big effects, but there weren't like 14 trolls that attacked them. There was one. You know, I, just did, I thought it was sort of a bit... It felt a bit like someone had wound it up to 11. So then uh, conversely, at the beginning, when they're, when they're fighting the soldiers that are just sort of clearly proxies, you know, yeah. just to, to give the effect that they're fighting so that they can have, you know, uh, a story point for Ravenna. Um, they... I like that they had I had read on the on an article or your article that um that they used they used it, uh, an organic you know destructive sim that would just fall apart at you know in in, in a non pre cracked way but then they actually rigged up a couple sliders for the animators to be able to uh, continue the forward motion of the character and decide okay that that part of the sim's going to hit the arm here. They just sort of were able to direct certain points of where the sim would time out so that as the guy was falling apart from being hit, you could still see the form con- uh, continuing its inertia as it would instead of just completely falling apart. No, I, I agree. And, and look, don't get me wrong, I do think that the physics, the bullet stuff, the, I presume it was Houdini that was doing that because it's the go-to product for this kind of stuff, was really really good it's just i just felt it was just too much of it and when you have too much of an effect like that it just becomes so ridiculous i almost kind of roll my eyes and go okay well (laughs) clearly they're going to be able to survive anything so let's just you know wait until we've got past this and we'll get to the next bit kind of thing um it didn't it was the only scene that felt like that i mean for example when she goes into the dark forest and she's hallucinating on the kind of vapors that was good. Yeah, like that it was wasn't. Really good. It wasn't so threatening that you thought, well, no way, she's no one's going to survive. That oh wait, she miraculously did. She just had sort of event after event that seemed like you'd be able to maybe get through them, but it'd be pretty bloody miserable doing it. It was contained, you know. Whereas some of these films, you get sort of like let's take the troll for example, right? The troll was in a size that was sensible, and he didn't defeat it with one sword. You know, it it walked away and it backed off when it could have won. It was all in this sort of realm of sensible. Whereas sometimes you get, uh, you know, somebody, a hero in a film like this, being attacked by something that's 48 times their size and they manage to throw one spear right. and it brings it down. And you're just thinking, really? Mm-hmm. Um, um, I thought I thought the – what's really funny is I, I, I felt like the um, Dark Forest uh, LSD scene yep. – was very similar to Princess Bride, where they go through the through the mucky swamp, and then I read an interview with the with the guy who wrote the original screenplay, Evan Doherty or something, who ended up getting replaced later on by big A listers, of course, because it's Hollywood bullshit. <laughs> but uh, he said the Princess Bride was one of his. You know, it's like his favorite movie. And then I started thinking, because I kind of got that vibe while I was watching it. And then I went back after I read that and thought about the plot. And it actually is The Princess Bride in a lot of ways. Because you have the Huntsman, who's basically the Inigo Montoya character, who's looking for revenge for his wife. And at the end, he duels the guy who killed his wife. He just didn't say, ten years ago, you killed my wife. You know, Uh and he had the same kind of page boy haircut, which is fine because that's the the guy wrote the script when he was a junior in film school, you know. So, uh, 
I, I like that he that it had this familiarity to it, but then took it to a to a, a, a direction that had a little more action and darker tone, like the bat the bat guy that like flew off the tree at, at Kristen Stewart when she was hallucinating was yeah. was great and you just saw it in profile and a quick frontal shot for like I don't know a total of a second and a half and it was all you needed you didn't need to like study it and see it and you know I, I, I like the I think we've had this discussion about the last couple films that there's just been a spate of recently films that do put a lot of love into a single use effect or or asset or scene mm-hmm. or style or what have you and they don't come back to it and that is a newer trend I think which I'm super happy with yeah yeah hey can I pick up on something that you mentioned there which was I don't think we've given really discussed the brother is it Finn the brother um, with the page boy haircut <laughs> that you were referring I think to so yeah, <laughs> like yeah. He, was, he was a very good addition to this story in my opinion uh, I thought he did a really good job, and I feel really sorry for him that he actually had that haircut in real life. And for the <laughs> period that he was filming, he had to walk around to the dry cleaners and stuff with his hair actually bleached doing that stuff. But I've got to say, I, yeah, I thought he made it for a really good angle. It wasn't just this yeah. queen that stayed in her castle and it was all done remotely. There was a physical presence that was evil, but because it was the brother... It was all a bit sicky and a bit weird and a bit, yeah, I don't really like this. Humanized. Uh, yeah, uh, and he, I thought it was good. Supernatural stuff and humanized it, especially at the end when she when he's stuck on the tree stump and he's calling out for her to, to yeah. do her thing and she's like, can't do it, you know. Yeah, and I thought, uh, I thought his character was good. I thought, I don't know how much that was practical makeup across his face because there was quite a lot of things that were going on with his face. I presume it was practical makeup, but yeah, his entire presence on screen was well done. He was suitably icky, but also, you know, you cause sometimes these guys look pathetic and then turn into the best swordsman in history, and you're like, yeah, really? Uh, but in every respect, I thought he carried that as a good weight between somebody that would be submissive to the queen, but also would be strong enough to actually hold their own in a fight. Um, not really a visual effects point, but I just thought he worth to mention. <laughs> And that yeah. haircut, man. Just worst haircut ever. <laughs> Wouldn't you just be like that? You know, yeah, you'd be like, really? That's the one? Okay, sure. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's interesting the that. choices that, they're, that they made in the film, even back to the dwarves. You know, uh, I think uh, Warwick Davis, who is obviously one of the more famous little people in, in Hollywood or, you know, the film business having played Wicket, Sure. Ewok and Willow and you know Harry what have you. yeah he he came out and said that you doing what they did with the with the um, you know uh, the typical people and shrunk down was akin to using a white actor in blackface you know like he was really upset about mm. it yes um, yes and I can understand that I can understand that he would be incredibly upset about that and i i have seen he wasn't him somebody else saying that there aren't enough roles for people that are um not classically six foot blonde haired you know leading men that you shouldn't what roles there are should be taken away from people that being said it is happening at a time when 
you know, Game of Thrones has shown that a really good dramatic actor, no matter what um, uh, position he finds himself in in terms of a height chart, he's able to take a lead role in a absolutely gangbuster way that doesn't yeah. walk away from his height, but by the same token, his character isn't built around his height. Um, I will say that they they were respectful to people that... I mean, the dwarves, in a sense, were not just the comic relief sort of that oh, everyone absolutely. laughed at. So there are um, more but, films that have done more damage to people that are height challenged than this, I would have thought. Yeah. But I'm, no, not, I'm, yeah. I'm not in that position, so it's easy for me to say that. You're also, you're also as a filmmaker, you're is kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place also because you're... You know, you say, wow, I really see that 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 dwarf character as Ray Winstone or as Ian McShane or as these people. And you're sort of stuck because like, well, I wish I could have them, but they're not they're not little people. Well, but we could do it with visual effects. Oh, OK, well, let's do that. You know, so as a filmmaker, you're sort of riding the line, too. So well, it does open up more casting any- opportunities. But look, we never said in um, and look, I'm very sympathetic to the case, but we never said that in. Born on the 4th of July, it had to be a cripple that played the lead role because he ends up being a cripple in a wheelchair, you know. We, oh, absolutely. Um, no, I'm just, I was just, I was just... Um, no, it's an interesting... Yeah, it's, because it, you know, it's quandary. Yeah, and let's face it, visual effects uh, industry per se has relied from the days of Star Wars on people that were um, faced with challenges that neither uh, any of the three of us have had. Uh, to be able to pull off some really great stuff um, and contribute in ways that are really terrific. But I think nothing does the cause more good than, you know, people just being taken seriously, even if they're not six foot four. I mean, that's the thing for me, right? It's less about the actors and more about having meaningful roles for people. And unfortunately, I agree that these meaningful roles were not played by people that were were short, but by the same token, they weren't mocked either they were like not the comic relief the silly sidekicks and so in everyday life that's probably a better thing i would have thought for those that aren't actors you know what i mean like leaving yeah, aside totally. that, that uh can't hey um so was there any shots that you guys didn't like you know just loop around matt was anything that sort of stuck out to you that wasn't great i mean i think i think the, the of all the shots in the movie i think the there was really only one or two things that really stuck out and they were they were minor things, and they, they it almost felt like some of them had to th- – this one in particular, it felt like something – it just looked familiar to me in a way that, I don't know, reminded me of a shot that I worked on a long time ago on another movie, <laughs> and it, it was one that I never liked, and so maybe I'm biased, but it's a scene – yeah, it could be. It's a scene where um, in the – where she's walking up to the uh, – uh, the stag and in the there's to her to her screen left in the background there's some you know little bunny rabbits and stuff um sort of beyond where the stag is the stag's kind of on this um little outcropping or like a little island in the middle of this kind of you know babbling brook or whatever and in the back there were like some rabbits and i think a couple other little woodland creatures and they actually looked like they uh, you know, like comp-wise, like they were just, you know, live-action elements that had been extracted from something and then dropped into that background because they're not featured in any really dramatic way. But they didn't really feel like they fit into the scene. The, the, the light didn't quite seem right. The black levels seemed kind of off. And it just felt like, you know, there were so many different elements that were put into that scene that those didn't sit in there very well. And then at one point she walks in front of them and so you don't really see them again, which I thought was good. But, um, and, and I... 
I wasn't crazy about the um, the fairies. I think they were, you know, effectively animated and whatnot. But there was something about their um, slightly cartoony. Their, they? Yeah, they they felt like they were a little bit out of the world. Like the the eyes were kind of too big. They reminded me. You mentioned. Um, was the movie you guys mentioned a minute ago with fairies in it, uh, the, the Pan's Labyrinth. It reminded me yeah. less of Pan's Labyrinth and more of, um, what was that movie um, by uh, Luc Besson with the uh, the little fairy creatures? I, uh, I can't remember what it was a few years ago. Oh, the one at the end of the garden one? Yeah, it looked more like that to me. It, it felt like it was from a different film. I thought that um, the Pan Labyrinth fairies were better than these yeah. ones. I would agree with you. They were more of of the the same world these were right. more toony and yeah and that i would say it was more i would say it was more of a macro issue lensing issue for me mm. when they went into it like the background was just like bang like 1.2 just like super because because you're in so close and they're so small but in pan's labyrinth they never did that they and maybe that wasn't technically correct from a macro perspective but it it's I think the background was it felt separated too right. much it reminds, it was for me. If you guys ever remember the film Indian in the cupboard, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, it kind of had some of the shades of that in terms of the lensing and how they sat into the scene, and it just didn't the scale didn't quite right in a way to me. And and but you know it's a minor quibble. I think like over overall, I mean you know those are two little things that stuck out, but for the most part, uh, and I think Mike, you mentioned the thing about the. The shards. I think I would concur with like the the amount of shards at the end in that closing sequence. But I mean, uh, you know, I, I would say those are probably be the only things that stuck out as something that I would have something, um, you know, maybe not uh, something um, that I didn't like as much. That I thought could have been better. Jason, uh, I I don't think any nothing really stood out to me. There wasn't anything that I was just like uh, that that. I didn't think necessarily worked. I may have personal quirks like the monster stuff or anything, other things like that, personal taste. But from an execution standpoint, I don't think anything really bothered me. Uh, maybe the fairies, maybe just that, just the lensing issue. But that was, it didn't even, I was just like, oh, whatever. All right, that's fine. They were birds, now they're fairies. So know. in an alternate universe, and you could miraculously work on this, what is the one shot you'd want to be able to say, I worked on so you could put it on your reel? Not not mm-hmm. to steal their glory, but just to give you yeah, know, yeah. To say how good it was. Hmm. I don't know. I think. I think it might either be the the mirror guy, or like having worked on the sequence in the dark forest, the trip trip out sequence. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Actually, I, I think I'd probably really be very comfortable putting that troll sequence on a reel because I think it oh, sat sure. in there so well. Yeah. It really, I mean, the character animation was good, but there was just such good integration and camera work and everything else. And there was no point did it feel, and it could have gone so far into just shaky cam, not seeing anything. It's just all flying around and it's all done. But they it definitely was, lived in it. You know it I mean, they really they did. This Something. whole movie was not afraid to like live on a shot mm. and be like, yeah, yeah, what's up? Yeah. Yeah. Check it out, you know. Have a another look another another little shot bit that I thought was really great that we haven't mentioned that um I thought worked really well and it felt 
kind of fresh. It felt sort of like something I hadn't quite seen before was um, after uh, the queen goes out into the forest when they're sort of camping out that one night and she, um, she transforms herself into the, you know, the, the archer prince character mm-hmm. or whatever. And, yep. and she poisons, uh, with the apple snow white. She, um, she turns, she, they fight her off and she turns back into these crows. And, uh, and that was fine. But I thought the, uh, the part where we're back then in her sort of tower in the castle where she has the mirror and she's and sort of through the, the opening in the ceiling, all these birds, the crows all drop down and they form into this kind of the central pile and they just, all these birds dying and sort of plop down. It's really pretty graphic and kind of gross. Even. And then <laughs> gross. she sort of, she sort of melds out of that almost like she's coming out of this primordial yep. sludge of death. And I thought that yeah, that was such a nice and stuff. Yeah. 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 I really, I like that effect a lot. I thought that was really great and it, it really came together nicely and it felt really fresh to me. Yes. Though I should just, uh, reiterate that well I said I'd really like the troll of course it does take nothing away from how much I desperately would like to have worked on the face replacement on the dwarves oh god because, oh, yeah yeah um, <laughs> okay well look I think it's uh, I think it's been a really uh, good discussion and I could say to people that are listening that you know obviously you probably have seen it if you've seen if you've listened to this show but it is it is great when um, uh, the work of the artists lifts a film to such a level as this one was this uh, really you know, for me, it was a surprise, a really pleasant surprise as just to how wonderful here, here. the work was on this. And, I, w- uh, yeah. I, would really, I would encourage, you know, uh, anybody listening, affects people and stuff, to go out and just check this film out in the theater. Like, I actually think, you know, it's definitely worth the matinee price, at least. And I don't mm-hmm. know, the effects are pretty, pretty interesting. I think it's actually pretty fun to watch. So, I don't know, I would right. recommend that people check it out. I also point out that the costumes were awesome, especially... Uh, the evil queen's costumes, like her wedding dress with all that weird, like oh, sort yeah. of flickery, like shoulder? shark's tooth stuff. Yeah, yeah. it was awesome. Yeah, well, and at the end, her wood. Right? What'd you say? It's all Colleen Atwood, who's the like, yeah. you know, oh, did she do that? Costume designer, I think, in the yeah. Academy Awards. She's pretty yeah, good. They- they Pretty were good. great. I mean, you could, you could, <laughs> you know, you could fall into really like classic sort of wishy-washy middle-aged dress pretty easily. And I think all of the Queen's outfits were really good. Like, they showed the mood and they sort of fit where she was going. And at the end, when she had come out of the crows in the final scene, she basically is a crow. Like, she has all that, her all feathers and mm-hmm. stuff on her, on her, as her outfit. I don't know. I, I really liked uh, that stuff really jumped out at me. Sure. Yeah. Just, just to loop back Colleen is pretty good is a bit like yeah. saying that I believe John <laughs> no, I Lennon could write a good song. This is uh, from, I don't know, Sweeney Todd to Alice in Wonderland to Dark Shadows, I mean, all that. I think she's, she is, I, I think without a doubt, like the greatest sort of living costume designer. Yeah. She's, she's a Meryl Streep of costume designers. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. incredible. I was being facetious. Yeah. No, I, knew, I knew you were, but just in case, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But it is interesting how much work she does um, with Tim Burton, and he has some of the most interesting uh, stuff. I think she's done nearly all Tim Burton stuff recently. Um, well, and this not... was done by the producer of Alice in Wonderland, so that's yeah. a, probably the connection. But she's also did Mission Impossible 3 and stuff. But, but yeah, it's her stuff with uh, – because, of course, the material ends it with Burton that I think is just spectacular. Yeah. Going back, you know, 
all you know, even uh, Edward I think it was her as well just heaps of stuff okay well um, that's it for this week's show thank you so much for being uh, with us guys as you know um, we really appreciate uh, you being supporters of the VFX show and we certainly appreciate our hosts being with us again this week uh, Jason thank you so much for joining us where can people follow you uh, on the Twitters Jason Diamond one word or uh, my site with my brother uh, our directing site the Diamond Bros BROS.com brilliant and Matt you can always find me at mattwallen.com or at the VCU Virginia Commonwealth University School of the Arts in Richmond Virginia and I'll be out at um, Seagraph this August too with uh, some of my students and stuff so if anybody wants to uh, meet up and have a beer I'm game well hopefully you and your students would come to an FX PhD uh, beer up which oh, we, you bet. we uh, always have at Sidgraph. It's going to be a good Sidgraph. There's some really good uh, papers coming out and uh, some good technical talks. In fact, I was going through them before uh, I joined the podcast earlier this morning because there's uh, a lot of clashes for me on trying to decide which ones to go to. That's <laughs> there always are, of a, sadly. Yeah. Hallmark, though, of a good event, don't you think, when you're just sitting there going, oh, come on, I want to see all of these. Uh, absolutely. I think the last... Uh, Three or four years of Seagraph for me have just been some of the best years of going. That's just been spectacular. Some of the presentations and some of the papers that have been presented have just been mind blowing. Yeah, absolutely. And also check out the story that Ian uh, Fails wrote on our site FX Guide uh, on uh, on this film if you liked it, and uh, some of our other podcasts if you. Uh, would so be inclined, including the FX podcast, where we talk to the actual filmmakers involved as opposed to this show, which, of course, is the review show, uh, the FX podcast, uh, which this week has an interview with uh, the simulation head of the film Brave, a fully 3D animated film, but the simulation work done on Brave, both in terms of the cloth, but particularly the hair, I think is just remarkable and uh so that uh, podcast speaking to claudia chung is over at fxguide.com thanks so much for being with us guys um we'll catch you next week see you